Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals, and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor podcast. For those of you who've been listening for a long time, that name may may sound a little bit foreign to you. Um, The podcast used to be called Transparency with Diana B., but we changed the name to better reflect what the podcast is about. Either way, I'm glad you're joining us today. As you know, this this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and wellness, And today's guest is certainly an expert on that topic. Um, His name is Dr. Travis Perry, a balance coach focused on the financial advisory industry. He's founder of the Make Time Institute and also the author of uh, Achieving Balance, the Make Time Method to Help Advisors Reach Business and Personal Goals in an Overworked World. He's got a dual PhD in Family Relations and Human Development. Travis, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Diana, for having me. Yeah, I think this is going to be a great discussion um, that you know so many advisors need to to hear about just achieving balance. And um, I mean, I think you know, we all could use a little of that, whatever profession we're in. But I mean, you are um, specifically focused in on this industry. Um, But before we sort of get into all that, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your own story. Um, You know, you, um, I know you're early, in your early career, you were a financial advisor. Yeah, I got into this field, primarily because I was fascinated by investments, by multiple streams of income, you know, residuals, like all all these things really caught my attention. And if anything, I wanted to learn about money. I wanted to understand it better. And what better way, right, than jumping into the industry that, that teaches, advises, and helps others. At the same time, I also had this lure of finding a career where I can make a great difference in people's lives and really be an advisor, like a financial advisor just really popped out from 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 the page uh, to me and it really just, just spoke to me of this is something I want to do, but also the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I find that most advisors that I've interviewed, we've interviewed over 300 of them at the Make Time Institute now for, for the book, Achieving Balance, and we found that most get into this industry for those same reasons. It's it's freedom, you know, flexibility with schedule, and the financial impact on clients, but also on their own lives. So that really spoke to me. And you know, as I began in the industry, I was trying to do everything right, do all the certifications, mm-hmm. do all the testing, all the licensing. Yet at the same time, I was marketing my own business, my own name, my own brand, and nobody really taught me about that. That's something you kind of learn or you don't mm-hmm. and you fail, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, this is very much a marketing business. Um, mm-hmm. Yet the firm that I was working for, a uh, life insurance company, really wanted me to toe their line and do you know uh, their thing. And, and that was fine, except that's not really what I was in for it. I wanted the freedom. I wanted the flexibility. So I left and I, I started my own business. I was on my way to becoming an RIA and be fee only. I was fee based at the time, and with all the setup now, now that now that I lost the you know the 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 support 
of that mm. broker dealer. I had lost the rigidity. Now I gained all this freedom. But man, as a new business owner, kind of starting up your own practice, like you can go wrong really fast. And mm. I felt um, I was sort of in a good spot and I was taking things slow, but I was focusing more on the logo and the look and the feel and the experience, which is great for the clients. But if you don't spend time on the marketing, you don't spend time doing those other things that grow the business, there can potentially be some work-life balance issues. And that's where I found myself going, oh man, I, I need some help now. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. now I'm the guy that needs the help. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a path taken by uh, a lot of advisors, you know, going out on your own and and becoming independent. So I know, you know, you you know, sort of had a, a something happen in, when you were twenty six. Something happened to your father and kind of changed the course of your life a little bit. Talk to us about that. Sort of what what happened. Yeah. So in the middle of doing all of this, making these changes. Or thinking about all these changes, I was 26, and my father, 49 years old, in great health, mountain biked, road biked, hundreds of miles a week, just uh, Superman, in my opinion, Mm. just incredibly fit guy. This was not at home watching TV, couch potato at all. Hard worker. But I think there was some stress. I think there were some issues underlined that we didn't know about um, because one day everyone in my family called me all at the same time saying dad had a heart attack. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what? I was in total shock. Like I I didn't know that could happen to someone so young. Uh, No clue what was going on. And I thought, okay, if he had a heart attack, he's going to be taken care of. He's going to go to the hospital. He's going to be fine. But no, he wasn't. He was already dead by the time I got the message, and I just didn't even know. Like he died oh, on his mountain bike on a trail, some uh, one of the trails that I grew up riding with him all, every week. Um, mm-hmm. Just absolutely floored me, floored everybody. My mom and him had a great marriage, you know, typical but good marriage. You know, they're not mm-hmm. perfect people, and you know, it was it was absolutely shocking for her. But here I was, a 26 year old financial advisor who basically at that point was selling life insurance, but doing a holistic plan for people and, and, and trying to help my clients who were mainly business owners, you know, move forward. But seeing the other side, basically cleaning up the mess that was left financially of my father not being there anymore, um, really made me incredibly grateful for life insurance, for financial planners and, and good financial advisors. But it also ex- exposed me to um, what happens and, and how important it is to plan, to have an estate plan, to have a will, to have a trust, to have things in place, um, mm-hmm. not just products. Does that make, you know, do you follow me on this one? Because this, this is really Absolutely. where, yeah, I, I, I kind of was like, yeah, I'm going to be like the biggest proponent ever. And I kind of went forward, except it pulled me out of the industry. You're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. Travis, why, why would you leave the industry if you're so pro-financial advisor and planning? And like, you know, you have to understand by starting my own and l- launching out to now help the world. And I wanted to help every business owner out there, you know, so they could deal with their stress and they could have a better financial plan. That was like my, that was my newfound purpose. I realized that I needed to add more. I needed to add coaching. I needed to add more of a consulting platform to help business owners with their time. And that's Mm -hmm. how I developed the Make Time Institute. It kind of developed out of that. And I took a look at at the clientele who, uh, (laughs) at that point, I was very familiar with, and that was financial advisors. 
So I kind of pivoted back to the industry that I was in and said, hey, I could either try to impact, you know, hundreds of business owners or I could impact thousands of advisors and they have a, a, a you know, a residual effect on their business owners, clients, et cetera, and that can go on and my, my reach could be even, even greater. Yeah. I mean, what did that sort of whole experience teach you about the financial advisor profession? One, it's kind of a slap in the face, right? Like, wow, this this really happens. When I had to call the life insurance company and say, here's my dad's death certificate and actually process the, you know, the life insurance policy and that death claim, that was my very first death claim I ever processed was my own father. And mm-hmm. seeing how then that allowed my mom to do planning, to pay off her home. Like I paid off her home, I paid off her cars, I helped her move to a new home, basically establish her new life. The planning, the little planning that my father did was enough to do that. It was incomplete. He didn't think he'd be going at age 49, right? It was incomplete on the business side. Um, The business partnership wasn't, there wasn't a a very defined buy-sell agreement. Um, There wasn't a will or trust in place that we could find. I still haven't found it. You know, that there was in place that that could tell us what to do next. So we were all sorts of lost. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I know how to invest money. I know how to protect with life insurance. But what about when all of that happens? How do you pick up those pieces? So, you know, I, 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 again, I spent a bunch of time going that direction, trying to be the best advisor I could be, only to find out that I was kind of following in this workaholic trap or falling into this workaholic trap. And I find that most advisors that I speak to, if they're not careful, they can do the same thing. They mean well, they they have great ambition to help the world with comprehensive financial planning or whatever part of planning that they're doing, only to really um, sacrifice their own health, sacrifice their own balance in, in in the wake and well-meaning to help other clients, but now they're putting themselves at undue risk. Yeah, I mean that's that's um, that's great. I mean, not it's not a good thing, but that's that's you know one of the huge reasons I, I launched this podcast was because you know just what you were talking about right now that that's such an issue, you know, and and few people in this industry focus on personal development and 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 reaching personal goals. Um, and so I just wanted to read a um, you know little excerpt from your book. You know, you said in in 2014, the Financial Planning Association found that financial advisors were three times more likely to become workaholics than the average American, according to the DSM-5 workaholics grind through more than 50 hours a week, take their stress out in their work, find little satisfaction in their career, neglect their health, and struggle with unsatisfying relationships. In essence, the the false notion of working more leads to greater success can ultimately lead to the destruction of all of one's personal goals. I think the, the, the pandemic has had a lot of us thinking more about, you know, not just work life, but, you know, family life and personal life outside of work and, and how we can kind of get more out of that. You know, like, for example, eliminating commutes and things like that and working more from home. But in any case, I know, tell us a little bit about how you sort of changed your career path. Um, and, you know, you you got your PhDs and, you know, did a lot of research. Um, what, what made you and, and what made you sort of focus on the advisor profession as, yeah. a, as a life coach? 
really good question. So there's there's about a billion life coaches, even more than financial advisors, right? So <laughs> part of me was like, okay, if I'm going to reach anyone and I want to help with this, you know, it, it was all about health since the very beginning. It was all about health. Two weeks later after my dad died, I went to the doctor, 26-year-old kid, still barely an adult. And, and I said, hey, I want you to run every test possible on me. I want to know where I'm at. And he's yeah. like, you're super healthy. I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. So was my dad. Yeah, I look just like him. I ha- I probably have worse habits than he does. So I want to know. So I did the EKG. I did the the you know just the standard blood test, like everything they could do, all the standard physicals, and like, hey, yeah, you check out, everything's good, it's great, you know, just keep going. And I thought, no, that's kind of where my dad was. Like, I want to go deeper than this. What caused this? So I spent years doing research independently on myself. I tried changing diets. My wife and I actually started getting super healthy, and we tried just about everything. Now we are plant-based. Um, we spent three months on a raw diet. Like we've done some, some very interesting things <laughs> and people would call us maybe even extreme at times and that's fine. But, um, we found kind of where, where we need to be. So health, you know, uh, is very, you know, big nutrition, exercise, etc. cetera. Um, that's super important, but I found myself gravitating to psychology. Hmm. Why psychology? There's something going on as I've looked into the health realm of of how everything connects. Our bodies are connected into various systems. And yes, exercise and good nutrition and sleep, those are all, all good things. But what's going on in the brain? How do we manage, deal with, code stress? And how does that affect the rest of our bodies? Because really what it came down to is... Yeah, my dad ate the standard American diet, not the healthiest in the world by any means. Yes, there probably were some genetic factors, but did he exercise like a madman? Like there was no reason for his arteries to be clogged, but they call it the Widowmaker for a reason. They call the Widowmaker because it sneaks up on you. You don't check the blood pressure that is not affecting the heart rhythms. No doctor would be able to detect it from regular, you know, physicals unless they specifically asked, hey, would you mind doing an, uh, you know, an ultrasound of my heart? Like who asked for that? Nobody does. So um, I did various tests and other things to really pinpoint and find on me, but also in the literature that stress, stress is the number one killer of men. Stress is the number one killer of business owners. And you put men, type A business owners all together in the same room, who do you have? No offense to anyone out there in the industry, but it's 85, 80% male, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of type A's, a lot of drivers, a lot of marketers, a lot of talkers, you know, I could go on, um, who don't deal with stress very well. We're not taught how to do it. Our culture doesn't really embrace that. It's getting better. Um, but still, it's this old, I'm going to wear my overworking workaholic badge as a badge of courage. Like, I'm doing this for my clients. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. it becomes like, it just, it, it kind of hit me over the side of the head. Travis, you're doing all this research. You're trying to help people. Your audience is the, it's your people. They're financial advisors. They need you the most. And literally, as I was writing this book, it was for business owners, financial advisors, for everybody. But Mm -hmm. as I started interviewing them, 
financial advisors started coming out of the woodwork. I've been on podcasts, interviews, radio, TV, and uh, most of the time it's advisors that are wanting me to speak to them because I kind of know where they've come from. I've been there, done that, and, and, and built the business and dealt with the struggles that they're dealing with, but now have the master's in psychology and a PhD in human development and family relations to really understand where the stress is coming from, how to cope with it, how to deal with it, how to manage their time and their and balance their lives better. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it really helps hearing it from someone who's sort of been in, been in their shoes before, um, so I know last year you you published the book Achieving Balance. Um, you know I've got it right here in front of me. Um, I read through it. It's it's great. It's got some great tools in there. C- can can you define balance for us? Yeah. So you know, it's the funniest thing because that's exactly the question I ask when I've done interviews for this book. Uh, again, over three hundred of them at this point, and I ask people, tell me what is balance to you? Mm. And the overarching theme. And I'm very much a qualitative researcher. I like to interview. I like to feel. I like to know what's going on. Quantitative is great. But for this book, I did a lot of qualitative interviews and found that one of the the biggest things that came back is balance is a feeling. Balance is how they feel. Does that make sense? Mm. It's more mm-hmm. of like, hey, my health is good, or I feel like I have a good relationship with my spouse, or my my kids love me. I feel mm. balanced. And as I poked at this bear for a while, and as I took some of the research that I had and knowledge I had and experience from coaching other advisors, I realized, yes, that's true. And the, the, the top three typical areas in life that help them feel balanced are their physical health, their spiritual health, and it's kind of a, it's a, it's a toss-up between um, their own mental health or self-improvement and relationship with spouse or family. Those are usually the three or four that I see. But typically mm-hmm. one and two is spiritual health and physical health. Essentially, their, their health, right? How, how healthy they are is how balanced they feel. Balance is health. Health is balance. The book that you mentioned, Achieving Balance, um, that went number one, uh, day one that we dropped this on Amazon, in work health. Okay. Hmm. That tells you anything. Um, this this book has been is performing amazingly in that category because of the issue of work life balance. And hmm. it just so happened that this came out right with the pandemic, right with all everything closing down. And so people like Michael Kitsis and others have me on their podcast. Like, well, this is super relevant right now when a lot of people are actually working more. They're becoming yeah. more stressful because they can't control all these other things that are going on. And really the make time method helps you put that all together. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you don't want to, you know, sort of give away all the secret sauce from, from the book, but, you know, what are some ways that advisors and and our listeners, you know, can overcome workaholism and and achieve more balance? Oh, I'm happy to give away secrets here. That's what <laughs> we're doing this for. But um, obviously, if they want the the full, you know, uh, book there, they can order it. But I broke this book down into three myths and three truths. Um, mm-hmm. The first myth is the myth of productivity. Now, I would consider myself Michael Gerber's uh, physiologist. I would say. Um, you know, maybe his his grandfather or his grandson um, in coaching. 
His, one okay. of his first coaches was Dave Crenshaw. He wrote the book, The Myth of Multitasking. I love Dave. He's fantastic. Um, and, but his thing is all about productivity, organization, productivity. Well, I found that people that are super productive, even though they have a system, that's that's excellent, but they can be so productive that they turn around and go, gee, I've got an extra 20 hours this week now that I'm so productive, I'm going to keep working. Mm. They don't understand boundaries. So yes, be productive. Yes, have time management tools and system and getting a system, having a system is number one. Like have an ideal calendar. Make sure that ideal calendar is focused on your values, not what everybody else wants to dictate. So that, that kind of that, that is really the core. But once you're productive, don't turn into a productive workaholic. This is where the book I believe goes you know a lot deeper and helps individuals with setting boundaries. The boundaries that I talk about are the personal aspects of your life. If you live to work and you know you come to work and you're 60, 70 hours, I've seen advisors 90 hours even um, oh at work, okay? Um, but no one will admit it. Oh yeah, I work 55, 60 hours. I know for a fact that once I interview them and I go through the process of my strategy session, they're 20% they're off every single time. There are a few who have dialed it in really well, but most underestimate the time that they spend at work, on their phone for work, when they're at home, or, you know, going up at night in, into the to second story floor to, to finish some emails, whatever it is, we just, we underestimate it until we track it, right? Mm. So I'm all about productivity, I'm all for it, when you have boundaries, when you have balance in your life. So how do you do that? Well, you focus on those top three areas that keep you balanced that, and you do those first, you know, you go to the gym, you, you, you um, pray, you meditate, whatever it is for you, for your spiritual health, you spend time with your family, like you do those things that are the most important and you make sure that they're in your ideal calendar. So you have those boundaries. And what I've found, the ones that are, the ones that have said, Travis, I am balanced. I asked them, how do you know? What are you doing? And they say, I spend time with my family. I work out. I'm spiritual. I do these things. And it's because they do those first. They do those big rocks, as Covey used to say. They do them first. And they have put those priorities really high in their life onto their calendar so that they know that they are going to get done. Mm -hmm. And then work will happen in the time frame that they have set, and then they can leave it. Yeah, it's really hard to turn that off. And, uh, you know, I, I, as I was reading the book, something that really popped out as, at me is when, when you're talking about values and you ask the question in the book, what are the three most important things in your life? And that really struck a nerve with me and just thinking, what, what are those three most important things? And am I really prioritizing those? Um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's just a, something, a little interesting nugget that came out for me. But I wonder, Travis, if we can talk a little bit about the third myth in the book, um, yes. which is, um, you know, the personal development is, you know, is it's the be-all, end-all. End be yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so what did you learn about personal development and human motivations? This is where this kind of threw me for a curve. I was working for a coaching company while I was doing my master's. So I essentially left the industry. It's like, I'm done. <laughs> I, yeah. I've got to go follow this career path. 
while I was doing that, I put myself through in a master's program. I was working for a coaching firm, and I found that you know the, these these were doing they were doing coaching for the top um, coaching companies in the world, Joe Vitale, Nightingale Conant. Um, you know, I, I, I got to meet a lot of these superstars as they were walking through our sales floors. And I realized a lot of the clients that we had sold coaching to um, would come back and they would come back. They were repeat customers. And I thought, well, that's great for a business model. Uh, you know, it's recurring revenue, but they're coming back for the same reasons, which means this isn't working. Why is this not working? And I literally took notes. I started doing my own research because that's how I am. I'm the most research brain. And I'm doing my master's in psychology and trying to learn about, you know, behavior. My last class and my last project for, for my master's, I found a study that came out that totally just shot down everything that I knew about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and human motivation. I put it in the book, and I know you I know you've I've seen that as you read through it. But researchers found in, I think, 2010, and it just published like right before my class, which was awesome, serendipitous. And <laughs> I found out that, well, gee, they wanted to look at um, you know, this pyramid, this hierarchy of needs, which is quoted in like every single psych book, every single motivational book I've ever seen. This is what the personal development field is based on. It's that foundational. So as I looked into this, I, I read this article that no one else will read because it's 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 tucked some away some place in some academic journal, and they said uh, these psychologists looked at the the theory and said Maslow meant well. This was back in the 1940s. Has anything yeah. changed? And by the way, let's look at the empirical data. Let's look at what has actually come from following this theory that Maslow came up with. At the top of, you know, at the bottom of the theory, it's like, hey, you know, we need basic need, we need food, clothing, shelter, et cetera, safety, and then relationships are at the top. And at the very, very top was self-actualization. I don't want to get too deep into all this academic speak, but essentially the the uh, researchers said, is that really true? Is this hierarchy of needs really in the right order. And so they did their own research on this. And granted, these are not family researchers. They are evolutionary psychologists, abnormal psych people, um, child psychologists. Like th this was not, the family was not their specialty. They found uh, that Maslow had the, the bottom sort of right, but at the top um, was the highest motivation they found was actually being a parent and having a mate and retaining that mate, essentially, marriage, right? The commitment. Yeah. So mm -hmm. as we look at where our world is going and we look at <laughs> how far away the world is, is pulling and putting pressures on family and having different, like we could get super political, but I'm not going to. What I want to focus here is that the, the, the society we live in tends to not be as supportive of parents, of family, of marriage that it did even 10 years ago. Um, and when I was doing this research, I, I found out, okay, wait a minute. If our highest motivation is family and marriage, why am I studying psychology? Why is every single coaching out there based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that someday if we can just be self-actualized, we can reach our pinnacle, our professional pinnacle of, of, uh, of, of being that somehow we'll have reached it, right? When in reality, if we can focus on family and our marriage and our and our health, everything that we've been talking about, our priorities here, 
that will actually bring us the highest motivation and satisfaction in life. Why are we not going that direction? So I shifted gears and I said, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to get another degree in family and human development, see how all this works together. And I was able to test my theory, which I call couple development. Um, and I was able to test this out on couples and then eventually with advisors and found that if, if married couples can help each other achieve their goals outside of you know work and, and everything else that they're doing, if they can help achieve goals together, that they are happier, healthier psychologically, and wealthier. Hmm. We're not all married, but uh, uh, I mean, I am, but, um, you know, mo- uh, many of us are and, um, you know, we all have relationships. So that's um, definitely relevant. Um, and something that you said in the book is um, these couples build goals uh, on their shared values and work to achieve them together. Um, I thought that was great. Uh, my my husband always says uh, teamwork makes the dream work. Um, so oh, I love that. Um, yeah. So it's. um it's absolutely true. Um, well, I think, I mean, this was just, this was so great, Travis. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. And, and, you know, the book has a lot of great tools for, for advisors on, on achieving balance. There's a, a life goals worksheet, um, goal prior, prioritization worksheet, time management worksheet, a lot of just great tools and lessons in there. Um, but Travis, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Um, just kind of to, to wrap up your other thought, not everybody's married, uh, but it's interesting. Some of the research that I've seen is even if they're not married, many, most actually still want to be. And even though mm. society might change, even though there are some other ideas, they, when polled individually, most want to be married. Yeah, well, then there's the whole socioeconomic status thing, and, and that's a big part of it. But there is that dream that, that have that commitment, right? Because that's number one, to be a parent. Number two, to have that commitment as as, as, a, as a mate. So if, if you're not married, oh, does any what I'm saying today not be pertinent? Of course, it's pertinent to you. Find someone else to help keep you accountable. A family mm. friend, you know, a coworker, someone you trust, um, even a coach. But eventually, when you're married, make your spouse your best coach, your best accountability person. They they don't have to know every single thing about health and wellness and finances and you know every area of life, but they can help keep you accountable to help you keep your balance long term. What I've found is when couples keep themselves accountable to each other, they're much more likely to take the things that we taught them um, in time management and everything and keep it working for long term. That's uh, just such a great point. Great great point to end on. Um, I'm, I'm afraid we're just about out of, ta- out of time. But again, I'd like to thank my guest, Travis Perry, Dr. Travis Perry, for being on the podcast and sharing his own story and um, some of his great wisdom um, here on, on Achieving Balance. If you'd like to reach out to Travis, uh, if, if you're interested in hearing more, you can go to achievingbalancebook.com uh, where you can order the book uh, or you can reach out to him on LinkedIn um, if you'd like to get in touch with him. If you uh, yourself have a, have a struggle, wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.britton at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. 
We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation.